Pastor Scott, uh, dementia and Alzheimer's have, have been around for years, but with people living longer lives, it seems like it's becoming all too common. And in your own family, you're seeing your father, Paul, struggle with Alzheimer's. Can you share with us how, how it was first noticed with him? Yeah, it is. Uh, I, I deal with more and more families, it seems, and uh, that, that are struggling with Alzheimer's. Um, the signs for my dad were he would just start to forget things. He would he would f- stumble over his words. He wouldn't be able to get a thought out. And um, he had good doctors. You know, obviously that's not something you want to try and diagnose yourself. So with a, a neurologist gave him the diagnosis. Actually, technically my, to my understanding, based on what his neurologist told me, um, Alzheimer's itself is actually something that can only be found via an autopsy. They just see the signs and the markers for it. So, um, but yeah, that's something he's been living with now for about six years. And in a note to your church, you shared some of the things that he could do well and other things that seem to be difficult that to us would seem pretty simple. Can, can you share some of that? Sure. Yeah, I, I write an, an email to our congregation every Saturday, and um, I've just been as transparent as I can with my congregation about about the journey of going going on with my dad, and um, just some normal things. He came to our house recently for about two weeks to stay with us, just as a, a care thing with my sister. We needed some assistance, um, and so we, we brought him here to our house, and it's just simple things. Uh, he couldn't remember the name of our dog and he would ask the name of our dog about 10 times a day, his grandchildren, my kids, my oldest is 17 and my youngest is 12. And every day he would ask them their names and sometimes he would remember them, but then he would ask their names again and again and again. And, um, it's just simple things like that. He would, he couldn't remember where he was staying. I mean, this was obviously a new setting for him. And so he couldn't remember where his room was. He couldn't remember where the bathroom was. He wouldn't remember what he had for breakfast. Um, But then by the same token, when we would talk to him about something from a long time ago, my wife was cooking dinner one night and just started asking him questions. He was my mom and he were missionaries in Africa and I was born in Malawi, Africa, while they were missionaries there. And he would, she asked him stories about that and he could remember. And, um, and then when he would do familiar things, so we would always have him pray for dinner. And when he would pray for dinner, it was like, there he was. And there was his mind and it was clear again. And he knew what he was thinking and saying. And so it's just, uh, it's just that rocky road of watching the normal things happen, dissipate and go away. And it's, that's the sadness, I think, probably, at least for me, of Alzheimer's. Do you sense that he can tell that something is off with him, that something is wrong? Yeah, he he would, he still, and I, this is kind of one of the markers, the neurologist said, you know, there's going to come a point at which he forgets that he's forgetting. And the first several years, he would just say, oh, you know, Scott, I just, I can't, my mind is just a mess. I can never remember and now it's getting to the place where he doesn't remember that he doesn't remember. So as an example, when he got back home to my sister's house where he's, he's living, um, I called him and I said, Dad, how are you doing? And what are you doing? I, I, he told me what he'd done that day. And, and I said, do you remember when you were at my house? He said, what? 
I said, yeah, you were at my house for two weeks. He said, no, I wasn't. I wasn't at your house. What are you talking about? So it's that kind of a thing. How does this hit you? I mean, this has got to be very uncomfortable, to say the least. Sure. Yeah, my um, my mom died when I was 16 of cancer. My parents were married for 32 years. My dad then remarried um, someone that they had gone to. They went to a Christian university in Oklahoma City in the 50s. And uh, they, he remarried someone that they had been a classmate of theirs who'd never gotten married. And I was about 17 and a half when they got married. And then five years later, she died of cancer. And then um, my dad remarried my stepmom, who just this last October, just a Southern belle, that's just one of the sweetest people I've ever known, um, remarried her. Uh, and they got married a month after my wife and I did, which we've been married 25 years now. And this last October, she was in a car accident and passed away. So there's been a, a, an immense amount of change and suffering and death. And um, I thought, and then my work as a pastor, you know, I'm continually helping people go through grief and funerals and process death and process loss. And, you know, that's a part of any pastor's job. Um, and so I thought I, I thought I was a little prepared for it, but I was shocked at how overwhelmingly sad it was for me to watch my dad when he was here with us a few weeks ago. Just the tremendous amount of loss of memory and his ability to not and, and it, remember anything. And so when I would put him to bed at night, it, I felt like I was putting my kids to bed when they were four and you know five and and he would talk to me in the same way and um you know i'd give him a hug and a kiss and i'd tuck him in just like i did with my kids and i i'm very honest and i told our congregation one sunday um i said you know i was not ready for the sadness of seeing my own dad go through that so yeah it's very very personally affecting well you shared a while ago that uh, your father is able to uh uh pray to bless a meal and so forth. Does, does the spiritual aspect seem to have a, a, a stronger hold somehow? You know, it certainly seems that way. Um, and, and again, I don't, I don't understand the brain, um, but what the little bit that I've tried to make sense of, you know, anything, those, those long standing pathways have a, have a level of persistence. Um, so I, I would assume the fact that my dad has, uh, been a follower of Jesus for years. Um, I'm assuming that that imprinting in the brain is 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 what persists. You know, I, again, as a Christian pastor, I look at that and I think, well, that's you know, that's how God designed us. Um, so from that angle, it's kind of beautiful to watch. Uh, but yeah. So as a pastor um, going through this experience yourself, has this kind of enabled you to? be able to minister to other people who have similar situations in their families? Yeah, I, I, you know, sometimes we only understand something once we've gone through it ourselves, even though we can watch other people go through it. And, and my level of empathy for anyone who's going through any kind of just long-term care for someone who's disabled, whether that's a person who has a permanent disability or it is a memory care issue like Alzheimer's dementia, um, man, I, I feel that on a level um, I, I didn't before. 
And uh, so I'm, I'm in that sense, I'm grateful because I can understand a little bit more what that must be like. Um, but yeah, absolutely. Absolutely helped me see it in a different light. And in the note you sent to the church, you um, quoted C.S. Lewis about love and being vulnerable. Can you kind of give us an overview of that? Yeah, I mean, you could Google the quote. It's a powerful quote from C.S. Lewis, and he talks about, you know, if you love anything, you can expect your heart to be broken because, and I think he says this in another quote, but he says something to the effect of that tears are the price of love. And if you don't want to love anything, then lock your heart away, um, you know, with little petty things, and it will never be broken, but it will shrivel. And so you have to make a decision. Um, because I think sometimes we we don't want to love or we don't want to risk vulnerability because we're afraid of the hurt that's going to come. But C.S. Lewis says, says, listen, that's just part of the price that you pay. Um, uh, so, yeah, that was a very helpful – it was very helpful to me. Um, but, again, you could Google that quote. Some of those words are direct quotes, but um, that's a that's a general paraphrase of the quote, sure. Yeah, it came right through. For someone who may be listening to our interview who – is need some guidance. How would you suggest they start? Where do they go? Yeah, there's a lot of books that have been written about this. Um, you certainly could go talk to, there are support groups for, for people who are going through dealing with someone with dementia. Um, obviously doctor, your doctor would be a great source of support. The one thing that maybe for me was the biggest help um, was somewhere, and I honestly don't remember where someone in there, maybe it was one of the, maybe it was a neurologist, maybe it was someone um, that works in that field who just passed this on to me. But they said, you know, whenever, whenever you, your parent, you know, in my case, my dad, when they're going through something like this and they tell you that they're someplace that they're not, instead of trying to bring them back to reality, just go with them. So example, my dad and mom are missionaries in Africa, and I've on more than one occasion had a conversation with him, and he'll say, oh, I said, Dad, where, where have you been today? And he'll say something like, oh, well, you know what? We were in Rhodesia. Um, Rhodesia is the name of uh, the country that Zimbabwe was before it went through a civil war um, when my dad, parents were there. And he said, we're in Rhodesia at a retreat for missionaries. And so rather than saying, no, you're not, Dad. You're at home. I would say, oh, wow, that's great. How was it? Oh, it's pretty good, but we're pretty tired. <laughs> and it, that's been the biggest help. So instead of trying to fight, just go with them and just have the conversation. Oh, that's great. Oh, wow. And then you can gently redirect the conversation. So, for instance, my dad lost his lost his wife um, in October. Barbara, just this, again, just one of the sweetest women I've ever known. And um, he remembered and I was worried. I, I actually got on a plane from where we live and flew to Dallas where he lives that day. It happened so I could be the one to tell him. And um, and he remembered. Every morning he would remember. But then now this is almost six months later when he was here. In the night he would sometimes call out for her. Or in the morning he would say, where is Barbara? And uh, rather than trying to go through the whole story again, I would just gently redirect and I think, honestly, that's probably been the the one of the most helpful things it, because I've, I've talked to other folks and they try to fight the person. No, you're not. And it becomes an argument. And then that person is so frustrated that they can't get their words out. And they, they on a level, remember that they don't remember. And that's embarrassing. And so rather than trying to fight with them, go with them. 
Right. Have you sensed that God has given you wisdom or direction in all this too? I mean, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, James says that if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God. And he's, James is applying that to every circumstance of life. And so, yeah, obviously as a, as a follower of Jesus, um, as I read scriptures, I pray as I'm with other Christians, God's wisdom comes through that. And so, yeah, absolutely. All right. Pastor Scott Marshall, we, we sure appreciate your sharing your heart about this very serious and, and very painful subject. Thank you very much. Very glad to.